people, welcome to the Cypher Podcast. My name is Mikey Ribes and I'm your host. Listen, this is episode one. Before we get started, just a quick word from our sponsor. Listen up. There it is. Nah, we're not sponsored. But what I do want to say is thank you, thank you, thank you so much for tuning in and pressing play. You know, this has been something that I've been working on for quite a while and it's finally ready to share. I'm so excited for the journey. It's going to be a lot of fun, but it's going to be a ride. And I'm excited to have everybody on it with me. So thank you. I want to get started by telling you a little about myself and what I'm trying to do with the Cypher podcast, because what you're going to come to learn is that this is not just another ordinary hip-hop podcast. It's actually a lot more than that, because Cypher's mission is to get rid of the negative stereotypes around hip-hop. And how I want to do that is by choosing new topics each week that are relevant in music. I want to deep dive into them, really break them down, and look at them through a hip-hop perspective, almost like a rap lens, if you will. I want to talk about what makes them so interesting, what makes them so important, how they're relevant to you and I, and most importantly, how they affect our everyday lives and our cultures, because I believe that hip-hop, not only as a music genre, but also a culture itself, is so large now that it does does have everyday influence on us and we just don't always realize it. So ultimately what you're going to come to learn is that this podcast is really just proving to be true the words of Nipsey Hussle. He said this in an interview with Gary Vee and I believe it to be true. He said, hip hop rules the world. And so from the perspective of a diehard hip hop fan, this is going to be a lot of fun and I can't wait to get into it. And so with that, I want to tell you a little bit about myself and I'm just going to hit the highlights here. You know, I've known my whole life that no matter what I was going to do, music was going to be a big part of it. And since I was about 12 or so, I've really loved hip hop. Um, After I started to really listen to it and get into it, that's what kind of changed my own kind of like music perspective, if you will. Because before I started to listen to rap, I really didn't have any music tastes of my own, to be honest. I was mostly just listening to whatever my parents had on in the car, you know, or listening to whatever my friends had on or whatever was just around, honestly. So hip hop really helped me kind of find myself to some extent, definitely at least in a musical kind of way. Um, And I grew up in Detroit, so I lived in Gross Point, which is a suburb on the east side. And uh, Detroit's a huge hip-hop city, and there's a ton of talent that comes out of Detroit. So there's a lot that kind of came from Detroit that helped shape my musical identity, and I think that came from just being so close to Detroit for so long, you know? I spent a lot of time in the city when I was growing up. You know, I went to high school there. I went to high school at U of D Jesuit, which is right on Seven Mile and Outer Drive. as a Jesuit high school, so I was pretty active around the city, and I was spending a lot of time in it, really connecting with it. You know, I was driving it a ton to and from school. I was visiting friends. You know, I had, my friends were kind of spread out. When you go to a private high school, you kind of have friends all over, and my high school itself was actually super active because it was taking part in all these service opportunities and things like that as well, so I was participating a lot, you know? And what really caught me and what I really related to was this underdog mentality that Detroit has, you know, especially around the 2008 recession, which was a really dark time for the city. It was really rough. You know, the entire city, whether you worked in the auto industry or not, felt the effects of that recession. And it was really hard for a long time, you know. And the whole city kind of took on this incredible identity of perseverance that nothing can stop us. You know, we're a hardworking city. There's a quote that I once read, and it goes like this. 
some cities can make it on their good looks, but Detroit has to work for a living. And that really stuck with me. You know, it's this we can't be kept down type of mentality. And that really stuck with me. And it kind of helped me develop my own identity with the city. And those are a lot of the themes that we hear in hip hop a lot, you know, especially from rappers like Eminem, who very quickly kind of became my favorite artist of all time. And as you listen to more of the episodes, you'll kind of start to learn more about my story with Eminem or whatever. But Um, especially his recovery album for me was the big one that had kind of the largest impact, or maybe I should say the earliest impact. You know, I I, uh, really kind of started there with hip-hop. That was my first album that I really listened to that I was like, whoa, this is kind of changing my life a little bit. Like, this is definitely something that I'm I'm gravitating towards. And uh, I started to branch out after that and listen to other artists who were kind of becoming big at the time, like Lil Wayne was really killing it, Kanye West, Cole, uh, Drake was becoming big, Kendrick Lamar was just putting out Good Kid, Mad City right after that. So there were a ton of incredible lyricists to listen to at the time. Uh, right when I was getting into rap, and that's when I started to really write songs. I was writing songs every day. I really wanted to be an artist, and so I would listen to hip-hop nonstop. I would write pages of lyrics every day in high school and then uh, through kind of the early parts of college, and it really became part of who I am now, you know? Like, the big thing for me is that just hip-hop and rap, especially Eminem, really helped me pursue who I wanted to be and really do what I wanted to do with my own life, you know? And I never really had anything like that before that motivated me or inspired me like that or that I could turn to. And, you know, hip-hop still very much is that for me. It's gotten me out of some really dark places, and it's helped me stay healthy in a lot of ways. It's my self-expression, and it's still what I turn to when there's nothing else that can help. So it's really an outlet for me, and that's why I love it so much. And... So when I went to college, I took all this with me and I pursued the music business. And that's where I found my passion for marketing in the music industry. So sometimes you'll hear me kind of talking about that. I'm, I'm, you know, I really love it. And so I studied a lot of that in college. And after I graduated college, I got the chance to do some really cool marketing with some jazz bands in New Orleans. I was just kind of freelancing, self-employed type thing and just helping out any jazz band or venue or music entity at all that, you know, would basically be willing to pay me. And I did that for about a year, and then I applied to a couple of jobs in New York and took one at a at a media agency, kind of a big marketing company. And uh, you know, that's uh, what I'm still doing today. And this podcast is kind of my attempt to stay busy in music. So, and that's kind of the abridged version of my story. You know, um, I'm I I knew it would be a good idea to tell you guys because nobody asked. So that's how you know. And uh, now I want to kind of get into the main parts of the episode, starting with current events, where each week I want to choose two or three kind of like interesting things that happened in music and highlight them. And first, for this week, I want to talk about TikTok and Universal Music. They inked a huge deal last week. Basically, it's granting access to recorded music of artists that are signed to Universal Music Group's labels and songwriters that are signed to Universal Music Publishing Group. So now all users on TikTok will now have the ability to access clips from Universal's full catalog of music spanning across multiple labels and global regions. So this is kind of a big deal, especially if you're creating a lot of content on TikTok. 
Um, second, everyone knows this one. The weekend performed the Super Bowl last weekend, and it was a, it was a cool performance. I'm not gonna lie, but it was also kind of different. It was kind of like the COVID version of the Super Bowl halftime show, if you will. I've heard nothing but mixed reviews about his performance from just like my friends and people I've asked. Um, I personally thought the stage was the coolest part, definitely next level. So if you haven't watched it, at least go look at it to watch the stage because it's pretty cool to see what he does. Very weekend esque, you know, overdone dramatic, big, um, but it was fun. I, I I think I give it a 6 out of 10 just because I love The weekend, and he did it a little different this year, so got to give him points for that, which is cool, but I heard a co-worker tell me this, and I think that I agree that I don't know if The weekend is just the epitome of Super Bowl halftime vibes, so let me know what you think. Agree or disagree? I want to hear what you guys thought about the halftime performance as well. Um, and then lastly, I just want to highlight Nipsey Hussle's The Marathon was released. Uh, last week on Friday, and it was a live stream kind of like visual album and story of Nipsey's life as he was making his 2010 mixtape, The Marathon, which was kind of one of his big flagship projects that he put out early on. And uh, The Marathon was told through memories of his close friends and family and what it was like to be around Nipsey Hussle in 2010, 2009 when he was making this mixtape. So super interesting. If you haven't watched it, uh, go check it out. It's really cool to hear these stories. You know, they talk about some really personal experiences with Nipsey, and it's very eye-opening, so I enjoyed it. And with that, I want to get into the main part and the main kind of topic of the episode today, which is the posthumous release. You know, the posthumous release is super interesting because it can be so controversial, right? On the one hand, it's a chance to find possibly some of your new favorite music, but on the other hand, it's also, you know, like it comes down to the fact that we know that this music is getting released and the artist didn't even get a chance to listen to the final product, let alone decide if they even wanted to release it. So it's obvious that there's going to be a lot of skepticism and a lot of controversy around this one. And I would even say that in the last four years or so, the posthumous release has really grown in popularity, especially in hip hop. And I think it's grown to the point where it's becoming a consistent kind of thing that we see happening in music and you know these artists pass away and we almost come to expect an album in some cases now and I think that especially rap has definitely brought a lot of attention to that so I wanted to name just a couple of big ones that I thought of in recent years you know Mac Miller put out Circles um, Extentation put out Skins Pop Smoke did Shoot for the Stars Aim for the Moon that's actually one of my favorite ones um Juice World put out Legends Never Die, which may be one of the biggest ones since uh, Biggie put out uh, Life After Death, and uh, that was another really good one. That was probably one of the biggest ones of all time, along with Tupac's The Don Caluminati, The Seven Day Theory, and there's obviously been a bunch more. You know, Eazy-E did one, Jay Dilla did one. Um, but those are kind of the popular ones that came to mind from recent years, and I think that they all kind of tell this interesting story. But before I get too much into that, I wanted to say that I think there's really a science to this posthumous release. But I think the trick is that it's not so much an equation that you have to follow. Like if you do these certain steps, then you'll have a perfect release. I think it's more about asking yourself, okay, are the circumstances okay to put out a project? You know, like what's the situation and how will this be perceived? You know what I mean? So I think that's where it gets really tough, you know, because maybe there's a situation where it's like, all right, there's this beautiful body of work that the artist created, you know, but 
the events around their death might not allow for a release right away or maybe even at all. You know, it might be that you have to wait a few years or something like that. Or maybe you have some incredible songs, but they aren't quite finished yet. You know, then what do you try to finish them or, you know, what do you do? So I think it's it's these songs a lot of the times, especially we've seen this recently, that can really change people's lives for the better. And, you know, if it but if it wasn't meant to be shared, then what do you do? And I think that's where it becomes tough. And I think that's where this kind of story that I was mentioning earlier kind of comes into play because I think there's a lot of artists that pass away unexpectedly, but they leave behind such amazing music that can really change people's lives. So it kind of becomes this question of if we know that we can do some good here and we know that we can really help people, you know, why not put it out? So I think we've seen this a ton recently. You know, I I can think of a few really good examples recently. Um, X, his album was really good. Juice, Juice World's Legends Never Die, really affected people in a positive way. And I think Mac Miller, Circles, was another one that just really blew people away. And I did a ton of reading to prepare for this episode. And one of the things that I kept seeing is how much these posthumous releases by these artists really meant to people. You know, how much they really mean to people that are also struggling with similar things that are talked about in the album, like Mac Miller with Circles. I read this article on NME. It was talking about how posthumous release has really become a big business in rap, and I agree. I think that it has to some extent. And they argued that fans have really clung onto these albums with all the fandom that they have left, you know, especially for guys like Mac Miller and Juice World. And they did interviews with a bunch of fans, and they were praising these albums and saying how much they helped people and you know they were able to help people get out of dark places that they were in and it's really inspiring and kind of amazing and I have to agree you know these albums after listening to them and knowing the stories that these artists have and even how they died in some cases can be really powerful and they can be a really impactful listen so I'm going to share a few quotes that I was uh, coming across as I was researching for this and the first one is by uh, a young fan of Mac Miller in the same article that I mentioned earlier she says I I've always been skeptical about the posthumous albums, but since Mac was already working on Circles and his family announced it, I was much more open to the idea. There was something about hearing his voice again that made it sound enchanting. Nowadays, I listen to his music for inspiration. She also went on to say, I listened to Swimming over and over again the week that Mac passed away. I thought it was his best work yet. I was really sad when I heard the news, and at the end, he really made beautiful music that was true to who he was. And I think these albums can change people's lives a lot of times for the better. I mean, go back in time and picture yourself as a huge Mac Miller stan the week that he died and listening to that album, Swimming. You know, that can be powerful. And also what she said about the family being involved in this release is a big deal. I think that was a great move by Mac's family, taking just a little bit of a side road here. I think rather than having some guy at a label do it, they let the family control how it was going to go down. It was personal. It was for the people. It was for the fans who would cherish the music the same way that the family would. And that's the part of the circumstance that I was talking about earlier. You know, you got to know the situation before releasing some of these albums. And I thought that Circles was done perfectly. And I remember when it came out, it was one of the posthumous releases where I was like, okay, I'm excited to listen to this. I know that it was done right. And and it was all good from there. And, you know, I think we hear these quotes a 
ton. They're definitely not uncommon, especially from young fans. You know, a lot of young people really connected with the juice world and the extantation type of hip hop. You know, these artists are writing emotional songs about mental health and drug use and poverty and hardship. And a lot of people can connect with that. Another quote from the article goes like this, uh, from another fan of Mac Miller and Juice World. I felt understood by their music. I felt like we were coming from the same place. I feel that others who listen to these artists could get the same feeling of comfort when going through difficult times like I did. And don't forget, artists like Juice and X and Lil Peep really got their start on SoundCloud, right? Where they were giving their music straight to their fans. They were going around the big record labels, going around the middleman and the gatekeepers, you know, and they were putting their music straight into the hands of the people that cherished it. So that's also on another level what made this personal as well. Not only were the songs personal, but also the way that they were giving it to their fans was personal. So it's just layering on how close these fans were coming to these artists. It's really powerful stuff. And just the last quote that I want to read to share was from a big fan of Lil Peep. He said, Lil Peep and Juice World still help me when I'm feeling low. Mental health has a lot of stigma around it, more so men's mental health. So having male artists talk about depression helped me realize that having down days is normal. You know, these songs are really out here helping people. Like, they're really out here changing lives and bringing attention to mental health. And not everyone sees that side of these artists, you know? Even though they have a lot of tattoos or whatever, you know, they they sing loudly. Or maybe some people think it's obnoxious or whatever the case is. You know what I mean? But but these, these songs are really helping people and, and sometimes even save lives. Like, we're kind of, you know, almost alluding to in some of these quotes. So it seems like when you have the chance to do some real good... And help people by sharing music that you know will have an impact it really seems like a no-brainer to me especially when you know a lot of people will really cherish it and be inspired by it and hold it close to their hearts and uh, so it's really tough you know because this music is actually creating a space for people who are dealing with violence and addiction you know, here's a quote from Nate Sloan. He hosts the Switched on Pop podcast. He said, Intoxication doesn't need to just be seen as an escape, but actually a way of dealing with the oppression of being a racial minority in the United States. And I can't necessarily relate to being a minority, but I can see how people that are in those shoes can use this music as a vehicle for that, you know? He goes on to say that hip-hop is devalued because of some of the subject material and some of the themes that it uses, but really it can serve as a real-life mechanism in my opinion, for listeners who need help, you know? Um, but also at the same time, we have to see that there's two sides to this, right? Because even though this music can be extremely powerful for a lot of people and it can really help, in some cases, putting out an album after an artist dies is just not what they would have wanted, you know? Straight up. And a lot of times we see a lot of labels taking control, so it raises the question, given that their work is rooted in real pain, are late rappers being exploited by the posthumous release. Or it becomes an ethical issue where it's like knowing that this music will really help people, is it okay to release even though the artist wasn't ready to share it? You know, And now we're kind of getting into a little bit of a gray area where we start talking about, all right, if the artist was ready or not, or the songs quote unquote done or finished, you know, or maybe some of the songs needed a little bit of work before they could be released, whatever the case is, right? Um, I think those questions are nearly, first of all, impossible to answer, right? Because the artist isn't around anymore to answer them. So we're never actually going to know. But I do think a couple of things are for certain. And that is, um, I want to wrap up the posthumous release with these couple of thoughts. First, 
labels should not be in charge of this. They can definitely help, you know, help out any way that they can, but they should not be in control. Take a page out of Mac Miller's book. Let the family help. Let the close friends help, you know? And I think, second, unless an artist was specifically saying, please do not ever put this music out, I do think that it's for the family and close friends to decide what happens. So with that, let me know your thoughts. Are you for or against releasing music after an artist passes away? Maybe it'll save somebody, but is it what they really would have wanted? You know, I want to hear about it. Is there a posthumous album that really stands out to you or speaks to you? Let me know. I'm interested. With that, I want to get into my cipher of the week. This is when I break down an album, a song, an artist that I've been listening to super heavy this week. And so the album is going to be Life After Death by Biggie, one of the most famous posthumous releases ever. That one had to be in here. The song of the week is Sad! Exclamation mark by Extentation. Beautiful song. Actually one of my favorites, and I still listen to it all the time today. Um, and then my artist of the week this week is The Weeknd. No Grammy nomination, but he got the Super Bowl halftime show, so there you go. That's the cypher of the week. Listen, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave a comment. Tell me what you think of posthumous releases. Give me your opinion of The Weeknd Super Bowl show. Tell me if you thought it was good or bad. Shoot me some ideas of what you want me to talk about next. I can't wait for episode two. It's coming out next week. Thank you so much. This has been the Cypher Podcast, episode one. My name is Mikey Ribes. Peace. Peace.